What is going on, sports fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. And this will be our Season 3 debut episode, Season 3, Episode 1. We're going to start modeling this podcast and its seasons based off when the MLB seasons start. So, since MLB opening day and their season kicked off this past week, this will be our Season 3 pilot episode. And what a show we got planned for you today. Men's and women's basketball both crowned their national champions. And spoiler alert, I was wrong. We go through those games and we also talk about some pro sports. NBA. NFL, there was a big trade in the NFL, and the MLB kicked off their season. We recap the the young MLB season just five games in, and we also answer some listeners' questions. You guys sent questions into the show. I had the answers. All that and more coming up on today's edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. But first, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the absolute easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, all of that on your phone or computer, and guess what? It's free. Go to the download the Anchor app from the App Store or go to anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. Today is Wednesday, April 7th. Let's go. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm the man with the plan, the host with the most too sweet to be sour at the top of the hour, Jack Bernie. And we got a lot of sports to talk about today. Let's start with the Women's National Championship. I thought UConn was going to win because of Paige Bweckers and Paige Buckets. But UConn was upset by Arizona and Ari McDonald. And Arizona, just... Quick round of applause to the Arizona women's basketball team. They're a great team. It was the first time they ever made the Final Four, and then the first time they ever made the national championship after beating UConn, a, a dynasty unlike any other, and they fell just short in the national championship to the number one overall seed, Stanford Cardinal. On Easter Sunday, the Cardinal won the program's third national championship with its third victory over Arizona this season. 54-53, it was a game that came down to the final shot, and what a game it was. Ari McDonald had a chance to win it at the end for Arizona. She took a turnaround fadeaway jumper over three defenders, and it hit iron, but it would not fall. Stanford capped off the season with a championship that saw it forced to live on the road for nine weeks, and man, what a game it was. The world seemed to stand still as Arizona star Ari McDonald who had a great tournament, great, great tournament, great game. She scored a game-high 22 points. She got the ball with six seconds left and had an opportunity to win the game. She dribbled to the top of the arc and was rushed by three defenders. Still got the shot off, as I mentioned. The ball uh, hit off the rim, and the magical run for the Wildcats came to an end. Arizona's coach after the game, Adia Barnes, said, It was going to be airy or nothing. At that point, we've been on Aries back for the whole tournament. She's got to take that shot. It's still had a chance of going in, but I have to put the ball in her hands in that situation because she's one of the reasons why we're here. And so, yeah, that's what happened. Stanford was led by Jones. She had 17 points. She was excellent. Haley Jones, she was named the NCAA Women's Tournament Most Outstanding Player. She had 17 points in the game. She also had eight rebounds. 
Cameron Brink had 10.6 rebounds and 3 blocks for the Cardinals. And Lexi Hall finished with 10 points and 10 rebounds. Arizona was down 10 in the third quarter, but they closed the gap with a 9-2 run to make it a 3-point game heading into the fourth quarter. The scrappy Wildcats refused to roll over. They kept coming back, and they even cut the lead to 1 with 3.37 left. But Stanford just kept kept going. They love to use uh, – coaches love to use the cliche that basketball is a game of runs. But the first half of the championship game proved that cliches are often true. Stanford opened the game on a 14-3 run. And then Arizona went on a 13 to 4 stretch which made it which gave Arizona their first lead. The Cardinal ended the first half with an 11-0 run and did not trail since then. So how about that? What a what a great job by Stanford. They win the national championship. And what a great season for both these teams, both Arizona and Stanford. They they all did a great job and honestly for Arizona they will be back. Ari McDonald's a great player. Um, Stanford, how about Stanford in both these Final Fours winning both games by a combined two points going down to the wire against South Carolina and Stanford barely survived both these games they both came down to the last shot but in the end Stanford are the national champions congratulations to them and they beat Arizona for the third time this season and win the women's national championship let's go to the men's national title before we go to the men's national title we have to talk about the final four games on saturday the first one was baylor houston baylor rolled houston 78 to 59 baylor just had everything going they were led by Javian mitchell jared butler they, they were just doing everything however the game of the night happened in the nightcap gonzaga the number one seed faced off against ucla and johnny juzang and i know you guys saw the end of this game but just in case you didn't, let me set the stage for what happened. So this game went to overtime. UCLA and Gonzaga were throwing haymakers back and forth. So it's about eight, 90 to 85 with about a minute left. Uh, Juzang hits a three to cut it to 90 to 88. Then Juzang with about, gets the ball with about, I think, 20 seconds left. And so he starts going to work. He, he takes a floater, misses the floater, and but gets his own rebound and puts it back up and in. And that set the stage for Jalen Suggs to hit one of the greatest buzzer beaters in March Madness history. Pulled down by Singleton. The look you wanted. Absolutely. Good job screening out again. Bruins with a shot and a tie and a win. With 12 seconds. What a shot by Jalen Suggs just inside a half court 
to give Gonzaga the Final Four victory over UCLA 93-90 in overtime. And it set up a date with destiny for the Bulldogs on Monday night in the National Championship. They try to become the first undefeated national champion since Indiana, Bobby Knight and his Indiana team in 1976. But unfortunately, it was not meant to be as the best team in the country, the Baylor Bears, Won the national championship. The only opponent Gonzaga could not beat was its last. The previously undefeated Bulldogs took their first loss of the season, falling 86-70 to Baylor in the national championship. It was a stunningly lopsided loss. Gonzaga never once led in the game. And Baylor... 29 and 2 final 28 and 2 final record 73 years removed from their last national championship game appearance they celebrate their first ever men's basketball title Baylor ascended to the top of the sport with style too they jumped out to an early 9-0 lead which ballooned to 11-1 which turned to 29-10 less than 10 minutes into the game despite this Gonzaga did have their share of runs the Bulldogs cut the lead to 10 by halftime and to nine points in the second half but Baylor responded when they needed to, to respond they led by led by 10 made three-pointers and they trusted their big game on the offensive board that gave it 18 more shot attempts than the Bulldogs it led after dipping to single digits balloon it's a lead excuse me after dipping to single digits ballooned to as many as 20 in the second half and Baylor sucked the life out of the only team all season that never looked lifeless Baylor was led by their guards Jared Butler and Maceo Teague they led the way for the Bears with a combined 56 points and 12 assists, with Jared Butler becoming the first player since Carmelo Anthony to get at least 20 points and 7 assists in the championship game. Butler had 22 points and 7 assists for the Bears on the night. So what are my takeaways from Monday night's national championship game? The first one is where when, where will Gonzaga place in history? The Zags became become the first undefeated team since Indiana State in 1979 to enter the title game and lose, pushing undefeated teams in the national championship to 7-3 all-time. The loss complicates the legacy of a team that otherwise was trending toward immortality in the sport. With a win, they would have become the first undefeated national champion since Indiana in 1976. But with their loss, they join a list of several great teams like 1991 UNLV, 1999 Duke, and 2015 Kentucky, who entered the tournament undefeated, made a deep run, and they were so dominant, but they were unable to go to the, go the distance. However, Gonzaga will be one of the great teams in college basketball history. Every metric, they are etched into stone in college basketball lore, despite not winning the national title. For Baylor... Their shooting and extra chances were the key on the night. Baylor had 10 threes on the night, but four of those came in the opening 10 minutes. And when Baylor was hot from the field like they were on Monday, they are a difficult team to beat. When you combine that with the extra opportunities, they created 18 more shot attempts than Gonzaga, and they grabbed 16 offensive rebounds. And it was a formula the Bulldogs could not crack. And the, my biggest takeaway probably is a rebuild complete. On August 22, 2003, Baylor introduced Scott Drew as their men's basketball coach. A wide-eyed Drew vowed he did not come to the university just to go to the NCAA tournament. He came to win games in the NCAA tournament. When he said that, it was a pipe dream. A Baylor player only months before he hi his hire had murdered another player. The team hadn't achieved a winning record in two seasons, and yet he kept on building and building and building. 
an NCAA tournament appearance in his fifth year, followed by Elite Eights in 2010 and 2012, and finally a Final Four in a national championship in 2021. What he started nearly two decades ago culminated Monday night in Indianapolis as one of the most successful and unlikely rebuilds in all of college athletics. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we answer the audience questions of the week. We also go around professional sports to the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA for the latest news and notes from those leagues. You will not want to miss it. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I asked and you guys answered. So let's get to our listeners' questions of the week. I put this out on our Instagram story, at Jote Sports Pod. And you can also, if you have questions for next week's show, DM me on Instagram, at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T Sports Pod. Or send us an email. And our email address is jackofalltradesports at gmail.com. And you will have a chance to have your question answered on air. So let's get to our questions of this week. Our first one comes via Instagram from a friend of the show, Ben McMillan. He asked me who my starting five basketball lineup is of superheroes. And thank you for the question, Ben. Thank you for listening for the show. And this is a great, great question. Starting five for basketball out of superheroes. All right, so this a lot of thought goes into this one. Um, I'd probably have to go at the point guard. I would probably go with, let's see. I'm trying to think here. Probably point guard, I'd probably have to go with Flash as the point guard. Obviously, the Flash, his speed gives um, the team an ultimate advantage. Obviously, he's the fastest human on earth. Um, he's got super speed and he would be Dwayne Wade is nicknamed the flash. So that's a great comparison. If you can, if I can guarantee that the flash will play like Dwayne Wade, I would love the flash as my point guard and I would love to see the flash on the fast break. So I'll go with the flash as my point guard. Uh, he can obviously, he's the fastest man alive. He's easily a match for anybody on the, uh, another team, maybe a team out of super villains or another team of superheroes. So he will have no trouble navigating the basketball court. So I would say the Flash or Quicksilver as my point guard, but I'll go with the Flash because I think the rest of my list is going to be pretty Marvel heavy. So my shooting guard is going to be Spider-Man um, with the ability to stick his fingers to the basketball without fear of it being stolen and his spider sense to tell him when somewhere someone is behind. Spidey is the dribbling master of this team and a splendid slam dunker as well. So I'd have to go with Spider-Man. His speed, acrobatic skills, strength, leaping, and spider sense would make him the best NBA player of all time. So he's going to be my shooting guard. So I got the Flash at my point guard, Spider-Man at my shooting guard. Um, Let's go with the big man. Now the big man is kind of hard to pick among superheroes. I would like to go maybe with the Hulk. Um... He kind of reminds me of Shaq. We'll go with the Hulk as our center. He's the only player of the team who can dunk from the opposite end of the court. He's an unstoppable offensive force. 
Um, he would struggle with dribbling though, so but I think he'd be a good job at getting rebounds. He would obviously be the enforcer of the team. Uh, the the Hulk would be awesome as a big man. Like I said, he reminds me of Shaq. Like I think the Hulk would be a great great big man. All right, so the Hulk at the five to go with the Flash at the one and Spider Man at the two. At the three, the shoot uh, the small forward. We need our we need a team leader. And I think a team leader, a perfect team leader, would be Captain America. He will be the team leader. He will be our small forward. Um, he's a gifted strategist. His military mind leads would lead to brilliant plays and passes that use the special gifts of each player. He's also in fantastic shape and recognized for his own dunking ability. So I would go with Captain America at the three. I would put. I would take my chances with, with Captain America in a basketball game against anybody like LeBron, like Kevin Durant. I would have. I would rather have Captain America guarding those guys than any other superhero. And our last starting five position is the four. And I know what you're thinking, Jack. There's a lot of guys you could go with here. I'm between two people right now. I'm between Groot, like Big Groot, Groot the big man. He could dunk and block shots from anywhere on the court, or Superman. And I know Superman. He. With, I got to go with Superman because Superman's only weakness is kryptonite. And unless you're getting kryptonite or Nate Robinson on the court, you're not stopping Superman. Superman's combination of speed, strength, and slam dunks would make him an incredible player. Not to mention he would be the, – the, the speed between him and the Flash would be um unstoppable. So I would have to go with Superman as the, as the, the four. I think – I would have that would be my starting five. So I would have the Flash at the point guard, Spider Man at the shooting guard, Captain America at small forward, Superman at power forward, and the Hulk at the center. So that would be my starting five of superheroes in basketball. Thank you so much for the question, Ben McMillan. I hope I answered it to the best of my ability, and I hope that answer is good with you. And I'd like to hear, next time I see you, I'd like to hear what your answer is for your starting five basketball lineup of superheroes. All right, so another question from Connor Mills, another friend of the show. He says, is it time to really be concerned about the Indians? They've only scored 13 runs in four games. Yes, that was it going into today. They've only scored 17 runs in five games. They're averaging a little over two runs a game. It's not good. This Indians team hitting-wise, Cleveland baseball team hitting-wise, they are not doing a good job. seems like the only guy who's hitting this year, the only guy who's hitting above 250 right now is Jose Ramirez. He's hitting, about, he's hitting 350. He hit two home runs in today's win for the Tribe. But other than that, the offense has been dreadful. Like, Roberto Perez is hitting 182. Franmil Reyes is hitting 211. Jake Bowers is hitting a buck 43. The team's bad on offense. Like, I just don't know. Take a look at their team hitting. Let's take a look at where they rank. The Cleveland's team hitting right now is tied for 12th in the league, which I am shocked by that. Their hit, their batting average is 215, which is really bad. They only have they only have 17 RBIs, they only have 17 runs, and they only have 34 hits as a team as compared to teams like the Cincinnati Reds who have a 316 average. Like they're not hitting the ball well and it's translating. And you take a look at Cleveland's pitching. Let's take a look at their pitching because the pitching has been dynamite. Cleveland's pitching, they have a 3.35 ERA. And they lead the lead in, in strikeouts. Shane Bieber has 24 strikeouts on the year. 
it is time to be concerned about this Cleveland baseball team. It seems like Jose Ramirez is the only one on this team with any sort of interest of hitting. This team is so bad offensively. Every night when it when when the opposing team scores more than two runs, I automatically turn the game off because it's over. Because I know we're not the likelihood of us scoring two or more runs is ridiculous. The fact that our pitching staff has has not given up more than three runs once this season and we're two and three in such games should be very concerning. I like Shane Bieber. I like Plesak. I like Savali. I like all of our starting pitching. I like Jose Ramirez. The team needs a bat, and they need to get it going offensively. I think what Tito Francona and the team needs to do, they need to fire Todd Van Berkleo, the hitting coach. I've been calling for Todd Van Berkleo's job for about five years now, and they haven't fired him. I think it's time because a 210 average or whatever I just said is not going to cut it, especially when you're trying to make the playoffs. A team with starting pitching this good with Shane Bieber, who had tw- who has 24 strikeouts, who leads the league in strikeouts right now. With Zach Plesak, a guy who only gave up three runs. Savali, who two hit the Tigers the other day. A team with that good starting pitching and with a good bullpen like the what like Cleveland has. They should not be two and three right now to start the season. They look dreadful offensively, and something needs to change. Because if it doesn't, they will find themselves not in third in this division, like I originally said, but in fifth in this division behind the Royals and the Tigers. So yes, Connor, it is time to be concerned about Cleveland baseball. They got a nice win today, 4-2, to two, but it was Jose Ramirez who did all the hitting. They need guys like Eddie Rosario, guys like Franmil Reyes, guys like Cesar Hernandez to step up and start hitting, or it's going to be a long year for Cleveland and their boys of summer. All right, and our last question also came from Connor Mills. He said, what are your thoughts on the Sam Darnold trade? Who was the winner? Who was the loser? And do you think Darnold starts over Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina? Great trade, and that brings us to our big NFL story. Sam Darnold gets traded from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers for a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Now, I like this trade for both teams. It gives the Jets their chance to draft Zach Wilson at number two. And the number three overall pick gets a fresh start in Carolina. The biggest winner of this trade is Sam Darnold. Uh, Is it too harsh to say that he's the biggest winner because he gets away from the Jets? Well, it's true. He never really got a good chance in New York, considering he, he, he arrived during an exceptionally dysfunctional and unstable period. In his three seasons, the roster was really bad, and he had Adam Gase in charge for two of those years. Darnold had some bad injury luck, but now he gets to reset his career in Carolina, which will, who will reportedly pick up his fifth-year option, signaling that the organization sees him as a starter. So yes, I do think Sam Darnold will start over Teddy Bridgewater, pair Sam Darnold with Matt Rule and Joe Brady, and have better better weapons in DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Robbie Anderson. For Darnold, there won't be any more excuses, but I think they should give him a chance to start. For a quarterback with a career completion percentage under 60%, this is about as good as a landing spot as he could hope for. Three seasons is a pretty good sample size to make a judgment on a player, but Darnold will be just 24 years old when the season starts, and he's got a lot to prove. The other big winner of this trade is the Panthers. On paper, it's an upgrade for the Panthers. They didn't give up much, a second and a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder for a quarterback whose talent evaluators around the league feel he still has significant upside that was untapped in New York. It was clear by the end of the season, the Panthers were not high on Teddy Bridgewater. And with the eighth overall pick, the Panthers were going to take a quarterback. But now they believe their coaching can do more with Darnold than the Jets did. Check Joe Brady's career. He did. He rebuilt Joe Burrow and made Joe Burrow the number one pick at LSU. 
And you have to be thinking of a Ryan Tannehill-like second act for Sam Darnold. The big loser of this trade, of course, is Teddy Bridgewater. His time in Carolina is likely going to end, and he may have to settle for a backup job wherever he lands next. Panthers GM Scott Fitterer did not rule out Bridgewater remaining on the roster. I mean, Teddy wasn't terrible last season, and he could have be a fit for a team that needs a competition at quarterback. We will never stop wondering what might have been if he had not suffered that injury early in his career in Minnesota. But to answer your question, Connor, the biggest winners are Sam Darnold and the Panthers. The biggest loser is Teddy Bridgewater. And I think just because Sam Darnold has so much talent, has so much untapped potential, I think Sam Darnold is going to be the guy who suits up week one when the season starts in Carolina. So that was our View uh, listener questions of the week. Thank you to Ben and Connor for submitting questions. And if you guys want your question answered on next week's show, DM us on Instagram at Joe Sports Pod or email us at Jack of All Trades Sports at gmail.com. All right, before we go, we got to talk about the latest in the NBA and the NFL and the MLB. We kind of touched on the Darnold trade, which is the big news in the NFL. In the NBA, Kevin Durant returns tonight for the Nets and It'll be interesting to see how they're playing. The Nets are currently up 15-12 to 12 on the Pelicans, but I'm trying to think of any other big NBA news. It doesn't look like anything significant happened in the NBA. Kevin Durant is back. James Harden is going to be out for a little bit. Let's see. Uh, John Morant got hurt. I don't know what else. Anything else going on around the NBA? Let's just update the standings on the Cavaliers. How about the Cavs winning the other night in San Antonio? Darius Garland had 37 points. And I'll tell you what, Darius Garland is the thing that makes this team go. When Darius Garland is on, this Cavs team is on. And you look at the Cavs, they're only two and a half games out of a potential play-in series in the East. And I think they can get there if Garland and Sexton are at the peak of their powers. Taking a look at the Eastern Conference standings, relatively unchanged since the last time we talked. The Sixers and the Nets and the Bucks are the top three teams. There are several games ahead of the rest of the pack, then finishing out the top eight. The Hawks are at four, the Hornets at five, the Heat at six, the Knicks at seven, and the Celtics at eight. And in the Western Conference, we talked about the Lakers falling. They've fallen to fifth. They're 32-19 and without LeBron Anthony Davis and their newly acquired Andre Drummond, who's also out for a while with an injury. The Jazz and the Suns lead the way in the West. They're the top two seeds. They're playing tonight. The Clippers and the Nuggets are 3-4, and four, followed by the Lakers at 5, the Trailblazers at 6, the Mavericks at 7, and the Grizzlies at 8. So that is what the NBA landscape is looking, around, looking at right now. MLB season has started, um, and it's been a great season so far. I'm trying to think of the surprises so far early in the season. The Detroit Tigers, they have a rookie named, and he's having a... An outstanding start to his career. A historic start to his career. His name is Akil Badu. Akil Badu. He, in case you missed it, Badu homered in the first pitch. He's going to be our Joe Code of the Week presented by Anchor. Badu homered in his first pitch of his major league career on Sunday, hit a grand slam on Monday, and then hit a walk-off on Tuesday. That's a pretty insane start to your major league career. Akil Badu has been the biggest story of the MLB season so far. And besides that, uh, some teams that have been un- underperforming and overperforming. A team that's been overperforming is the Cincinnati Reds. They're 5-1. They have the best record in baseball right now. 
led by Tyler Naquin, former Cleveland baseball member, who has four home runs on the season, and Nick Castellanos, who has four home runs as well. The Reds are red hot as they just completed a sweep over the Pittsburgh Pirates. And a team that is underperforming, I would say, is the Atlanta Braves. They won their first game of the season today. They won two games, actually, today, 7-6 to six and 2-0 two, two to zero over the Nationals. So as soon as I say they under, they're underperforming, they win two games. But they were underperforming because... They had not. They they lost their first four games. They got swept by the the Phillies, and they also lost their opener, the Nationals' home opener, um, yesterday to the Nationals. But they bounced back in the win column today. So the Braves are still my underperforming team. Other than that, it's great to see baseball back. And here's hoping it's a good, healthy, full season for Major League Baseball. And that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be back with another episode, hopefully on the microphone. We had some audio difficulties, which is why this episode got released later in the night than I would have liked it to. However, next week, we will have our microphone hopefully back up and working, as we always have to have an audio issue or something when this podcast gets recorded. I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get that vaccine when you're eligible, and we will come back at you next week with another great sports podcast episode with all the sports you can imagine if you want a uh, a plate full of sports next week tune into the jack of all trades sports podcast presented by anchor thank you so much once again for listening and we'll catch you on the flip side